turn cold on us, didn't it? about time to begin. I hate to break up good fellowship. All right, we, uh, last time that we met in our regular class, we had a, a Thanksgiving singing devotional, so we appreciate our young men who, um, who organized that song service and scripture reading for Thanksgiving, but we'll jump back into parables. Before we uh, had that special devo, we did a, a, a video, it was a DVD, uh, a modern application parable on the prodigal son. Y'all remember that? And uh, I just thought we'd talk, talk about that for a few minutes, see if you had any things that stood out in your mind. I've seen that three or four times. I always enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm like Glenn. Glenn said, you know, Tom, I can really relate to the older brother because if I had a, if I had a brother that almost um, sunk our business and, and did what he did, I'd be, I'd be really mad at him too. So you, you kind of relate to the older brother in some ways. And... I can almost understand why he would feel angry that his father would take back this brother who was very foolish and put the business in jeopardy, infected a lot of people. But yet the father did take back the son and uh, was very loving. And one thing about the parable I thought was interesting is I, I read the title, and it's not singular, prodigal son, it's prodigal sons. So the older brother and the younger brother were both prodigal sons. However, only one repented, right? Which one repented? The younger foolish brother, right? So did the older brother ever repent? We don't know. The way Jesus told the story, he was angry, he stormed out, didn't go to the party, and was mad at his dad and wouldn't talk to his brother. I hope he had a change of heart. But out of the two sons that were prodigal, only one repented. And it's certainly clear in the story Jesus tells that he did receive forgiveness from the father because he came back a different young man, didn't he? What did the young man say before he returned to his father? He said, he'll reinstate me to my normal job. Is that what he said? I'm feeding the pigs. I want to eat the pig food. I'm a, little, I'm a Jew boy, right? Feeding, feeding these pigs, that's an insult and violation to me of my faith. But, man, I'll go back if I could just have any job, if I could just be a hired hand. I'd be in the lowest hand on the farm. I'd be better off than where I am now. So he went back with a very different, humble attitude. And I think the Father, for us, I think his heart is moved when he sees contrition when he sees humility, when he sees um, a change of heart and brokenness, he uh, is much more willing, I think, to forgive. But the older brother never had that attitude, did he? Just really struggled. Oh, anybody have any thoughts or comments about the DVD? Did you like it? Glenn, there's a microphone. There's some irony within this. Uh, you know, irony is, is a twist within a twist. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the Jews 
they missed the party uh, completely because here they had the Son of God that was was their rabbi, was teaching them, and they didn't get the message. They still didn't get it, and, and the fact that they were the ones that were at the final party before Jesus left this earth, that tells me maybe it didn't bode too well for the elder brother when he, you know, sat outside and grumbled and said, no, I don't want no part of this. Jews didn't want any part of Jesus either, uh, and the majority of them. And so knowing that, I didn't think things were too, looked too good for the brother, older brother having a repentant heart. No. And let me, hold on a minute, give the microphone back. Got a question for Glenn. Got a question for you. Why do you think the older brother was so outraged and angry at the father's willingness to take the younger brother back? What, what drove his emotion? Well, uh, who, who said that? Greed. Gre- okay, you think he was greedy? All right. Glenn, what, what do you greed. think? Uh, well, there was a mix of both greed, uh, self-pride, uh, self-importance. He said, you remember when he said, he said, Father, he said, I've been your top hand all along. I've worked hard for you all my life. I got something coming to me is what he's saying more than I deserve something from you. Well, something more than you're giving my worthless brother. What about my party? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. He wanted a party. (laughs) I've worked hard. I've deserved better than what I've gotten. And yet this reprobate, this this irresponsible playboy who's who's insulted you has come back. And what do you do? Yeah. You throw a party for. Yeah. What about well, what about me? You know, and sometimes it kind of makes me uh, squirm a little bit when Jesus was using this uh, allegory and the fact he said uh, not only did he squander it all, he wasted it on prostitutes. Back then, talking about things like that was kind of out of the realm of uh, civilized church folks or, you know, uh, people that worshipers. You don't talk about them. You, you, you realize they're all around their reality. But who was it Jesus reached out to? Who did they bring to Jesus and say, hey, throw a rock at her. We're going to. It was a woman who had been caught in sin, sexual sin. Yes. You know, in the church, we get pretty self-righteous when somebody stumbles or comes, falls subject to to sexual sin. That's a big baddie, you know. Mm -hmm. And yet, how often did Jesus actually do the Jews and just probably just kind of rub their nose in it, saying, hey, Look at this. Look at this. Didn't he, he, here he not only spent everything he had, he wasted it on prostitutes. What was that boy doing? He wasn't living a good life. You talk about a sinner that needed to repent. It was him, that young son. Right, absolutely. So I want you to hang on to this thought of the response of the older brother to the grace of the father in light of the irresponsible younger brother and his egregious behavior, right? Would, would it be safe to say that the older brother felt morally superior to the younger brother? Would that be a safe... You think so? All right. So, so when the prodigal returned, the older brother felt well within his right to look down and judge this younger brother and not forgive him. 
But I want you to hold on to that thought because we're going to kind of come full circle tonight in this parable we're going to study. But before I get into that, I wanted to give Howard back his video. Thank you, DVD. And would you like to see another one of these modern-day applications? Think so? No? Yes? Yes? Okay. Well, Howard, why don't you pick out another one for us? Howard's got several, so uh, we may do that again. I, I particularly like that. When I'm reading my Bible, sometimes I'll stop and go, man, I just want to see the DVD. I just want to see the movie. You know, I want to I be there when that happens and watch it you know, in, in real living color. So uh, anyway, I have to imagine it in my mind, but I appreciate the artist's uh, rendering of that modern-day modern parable the prodigal son. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to start in verse 1. This is called Labors in the Vineyard. Labors in the Vineyard. And I think as we get into this particular parable, you might start seeing a parallel between the one we just studied, because I think the topic here may be grace, all right? We can kind of see those two together but I'd like to hear your thoughts. And um, we're going to read down to 16. Do I have anybody that'd like to read tonight? Anybody in a reading mood? Okay. Thank you. Yeah, we do that for the benefit of those that are live streaming. Yeah. Matthew, Matthew 21 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marking place. And he said unto them, Go you into the vineyard. And whatever is right, I will give you. And they went their way, and again he went out in the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said unto them, Why you stand ye here? The day is idle. They say unto him, Because no man has hired us. And he said unto them, Go you into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall you... Sorry. It's okay. Technology. Yeah. I lost my place. Let's see. All right. We we were on... I think we were around uh, eight. Seven. Okay. And they said unto them, because no man has hired us. And he says unto them, go ye into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right... That Yoshi, that you will receive. And so when evening was come, and the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, Call the laborers, and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came, they were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when he first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, 
These last have wrought but one hour, and you have made them equal to us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. Mm -hmm. And he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do need no wrong. Mm -hmm. Did you not agree with me for a penny? Take what is thine and go thy way, and I will give unto the last, even unto thee. It is not lawful for me to do so what I will with... Is it not lawful for me to do so what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first and the first shall be last. For many he called and few are chosen. All right. Thank you for reading. I appreciate that. So I have a question to ask everybody, and then we'll kind of jump into this parable and talk about it. If you had been a worker who had been in the hot sun all day, you know anything about that, John? Sweating? All right, it's hot. You're tired. You've oozed a lot of moisture out of your pores, (laughs) and your muscles are aching. You worked all day long. How would you feel when you see the landowner come up to the 11th hour workers and pay them a denarius, a full day's wage? And then when you come up at the end, standing in line, ready to be paid, you get the same, a denarius, a day's wage. How do you? Okay. You agreed to it. Yeah, a day's wage, a denarius. So they agreed to it at the beginning, right? He said, I'll pay you a fair wage. They said, "That's it's sort of a contractual agreement, and, and they entered it, and they got paid what they had agreed. But see, the thing that's interesting at the end, I don't know if y'all caught this, Who got paid first? The 11th hour worker. At the request of the landowner, he said, bring them first. I want to pay them. And they got a full day's pay. Well, the people behind them in line and working all day long are like, well, if if they got paid a full day's wage for working an hour, then I'm surely going to get more, right? So how did they feel when they got paid? A denarius. They felt like they got shafted. Say again? They probably felt like they got shafted. Hey, what, yes. Something's wrong with this picture, right? You, you just paid these guys for working an hour a full day's wage. I've been here all day long, right? So they had kind of this little heated exchange. All right? Glenn, Glenn's got a comment. As a former employer uh, <laughs> and an administrator of payrolls, um, I find this very interesting because within the dynamics of a group of workers, there's always somebody feeling like they're worth more th- than they are. Yes. Uh, and basically, uh, in the past, I've had to remind a few of them, look, you signed on for this, for this to be paid. Yes. Now, why are you whining when... The, this other employee works overtime that you wouldn't, 
And you, sometimes we define, if you can define it out to people, and it comes down to, what are you whining? What are you belly aching about? You owe me, yeah. or it's I'm like, entitled, or... I'm outraged because yeah. they're getting something I didn't get. But when you define the agreements, the uh, uh, Howard's here, he knows when you define a contract, yeah. it's basically that when you work for somebody, you work under a contract right. one way or the other. Mm-hmm. When you define that, the definition of the contract and the dimensions, parameters of a contract, they a lot of times I've seen them and that look on their face when the light bulb went on, you know, I haven't got a leg to stand on. What am I sitting here telling my boss, form of another bait word, that's what a lot of them call you, why, why is he reminding me of I made an agreement, now I'm wanting to modify that agreement, change it, and rewrite it for myself. Right. And and so people people do that. They want to cut themselves slack, but you stick to the the ump degree of the contract with everybody else. Yeah. It it happens. I mean we know it happens. Yes, and it does happen. Yeah. I, I had a younger a girl asked me one time how much I made, and I said, don't ever ask me that. Don't it's, you ever ask anybody that. You could lose your job. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really your business. Well, I, I can say pretty honestly I've seen it all because I used to work in human resources. So i got to tell you a funny story. One time uh, I had, a, I had a, a production worker complain about a coworker who had body odor. You know, we're supposed to learn these things in first grade, you know. So I called the guy in. I said, I'm sorry I have to call you in, but I need to talk about kind of a sensitive subject. You know, you need to use soap and bathe. Oh, well, I I do a pretty good job. You know, I thought I was, you know, he was a little embarrassed, and I was embarrassed to have to bring it up. I said, well, I'm I'm sorry, but I, I I just needed to share that with you. We went back to the line. I realized I had talked to the wrong guy. So I'm thinking, okay, do I go back to him and apologize? I'm like, no, I'm just going to let it go, you know. We're just going to let it go. So I've already done too much damage. But that was a funny HR story, the body odor. But I've dealt with everything on the job. And, and Glenn and, and, and Jeannie, you're correct. You, you have sometimes have people that get indignant, not that anything's been wrong. It's just the perception, you know. I, you owe me. You owe me. And a lot like this very gracious, generous vineyard owner who who contracted a wage, paid the wage, and then the guys that had been working all day long, John, are like, no, 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 no. You you don't pay them a full day's wage and pay me the same. That, there's just something not right about that. And so, what did the what did the vineyard owner say toward the end of the parable? What was his response? He said it's his to do. We just with read this, y'all. I'm like, yeah. the okay. The, the master of the vineyard said it's his to do with what he wants. The the money he can give away, however much he wants to the people, as long as they agree on it. You, what, what do you think? Was that a good answer? I mean, yeah. It was a contracted wage. They agreed to it. They entered it. They got paid what they had agreed. You know, I thought it was interesting because he says, 
Uh, let me go back here and see if I can find this. Uh, look at verse 4. You go into the vineyard too. I think this was maybe contract number two or three. And whatever is right, I will give you. In other words, I'll pay you a fair wage. Well, did he? At the end of the day, did he pay them a fair wage? He did. Right? Except the people that worked all day long that got the same wage are like, mm, uh, nah, this doesn't pass the smell test. Yeah, Glenn? I want to get back. Well, let him go first. He raised his hand. Oh, did you have, you have a comment? Tell me your name, sir. Yeah. What's your name? My name's Stephen. Oh, you're John's dad. Yeah. You came back. I'm yeah. so glad. I knew you looked familiar. Sorry. Okay. It's okay. You made comments in our Sunday morning class. Yes, I do. Well, I told you to keep coming back, and you did. So well, you just haven't isn't, moved back isn't, yet. Isn't when you look at this parable the way it's set up? Isn't it just like a Christian walk? Somebody walked before I did. And I'm walking now in Christ. Yes. And somebody walked a lot longer than me. Yes. Somebody's going to walk a lot shorter than me. But yes. But we're all getting the same reward. Amen. Now, are you sure about that? Is it possible that in heaven there might be different levels of, uh-oh, I've got an elder shaking his head over I there. I, think I better so. st- I'm just playing the devil's advocate. I, I know that's not true. But is that kind of stacking up how people might think I've been a Christian all my life. I've worked so, I've visited hospitals and nursing homes and people with Alzheimer's and and I've endured cold weather and I've worked all my life and now I'm going to go to heaven. I've got the greatest reward waiting for me more than a new convert. I don't think so. I think you get the same thing because this, is, this parable talks about our walk with God. It doesn't necessarily talk about wages because the wages we really deserve is death, not life. You sure about that? Yeah. That's what the Bible says, isn't it? Yeah. The wages of sin are so, death. So what we're getting here is the same wage that everybody agreed to at one point or not when they accepted Christ into their life. Right. And so this walk... Somebody's going to take a shorter time to get there. Somebody's going to take a longer time. Wait a minute now. Are you saying that somebody that is in the hospital and, and near death, yeah, maybe that becomes a Christian? Yeah. And, and they've been a Christian maybe a few days? Yeah. They get the same reward as a person that's been a Christian all of their life? Hey, I'm just grateful I made it. Amen to that. Yeah. But you're, you're exactly right, Stephen. I mean, your point is well taken. And, and rather than there being an injustice here, really what should we think about this scenario? What, what is being pointed out to us in this parable? Yeah. Well, I'm, I've got a few points that we'll talk about, but the, the, what I want you to take away tonight is the goodness of the, uh, of the vineyard owner and his kindness and how gracious and loving he is, that he would be that generous to people that were there only an hour. He is to everybody, not just Amen. Somebody. That's right. And so it's, it's those that have labored the longest that feel that there has been an injustice, right? 
but we know that there has not been an injustice. It's simply the love and the grace and the generosity of the Father. Right? Glenn? You raised raised one of your HR experiences when you were in Human Resources. Yes, sir. About the gentleman that had a body odor problem. Yeah. Uh, you didn't tell us how you solved it. I know you addressed the wrong guy, uh, and some some poor soul's thinking, start smell under his armpits. Yeah. But what about the guy? What happened to him? Did you? I, get, I did can't you... remember if I went and talked to number two oh, that's or just let it Tom. let it go. That's important. Yeah. Well, it's really important. You need to talk with people with something like that. Well, it's it's uh, been it's been. Well, having uh, been a preacher, could you have encouraged about them? thirty years ago? So. Well. You know, I can see a real teaching point there for you you might have missed because you yeah. could have told him, sir, uh, do you sit in your own pew? <laughs> and if you do, it's not in a church. And if it is in a church, you got two problems. And so, you know, you, you can, you can kind of ease them and nudge them yeah. into a reality that he wasn't in because he was keeling people over right and left that yeah. they complained, and yet he wasn't the better for it. So sometimes we to do things in love, take people aside in love. Uh, the Lord tells us to do something about it. Don't just leave them there. That's so right. I hope that dear man is no, is no longer sitting in his own pew uh, <laughs> as he once was. All right. I want to read a quick story. This is at the beginning of the uh, chapter. And we can thank uh, Brother Eldred. Where's Jim? There you are. We can thank Brother Elders for this. This is a cute story. At an African mission school, many of the boys came from extremely poor homes, which was shown uh, in the rags they had to wear. They were humiliated by the difference between their rags and the clothing worn by students from more wealthy families. To ease their lot, the missionaries decided to provide each boy with a khaki shirt, a pair of khaki shorts, and the local Indian tailor was given an order to make them. For whatever reason, the tailor made about two-thirds of the shorts with pockets and the remaining shorts without pockets, all completed um, and completely free of charge. The boys took the clothing with broad smiles, returned to their dormitories to try them on, Half an hour later, one-third of the students were lined up in front of the home of the missionary who had issued the clothing. They were no longer smiling. The missionary came out and asked, Is something wrong? Can I help you? We've been cheated, they accused. In what way? He asked. Because the other boys got pockets in their shorts, we did not. The missionary asked, how much did you pay for your shorts? Why, nothing, they replied. Then how could you possibly have been cheated? You received a free gift. Why be upset? Because someone else got more than you did. Kind of interesting. You see, the same concept applies there. It's a free gift, isn't it? Our salvation. It's not something we've earned. The graciousness and goodness of the Father has been bestowed to all equally, but yet some feel more entitled, don't they? All right. So number one, the negotiated price was set up 
front, one denarii, a day's wage. And in fairness to the laborer, he kept his, uh, or the landowner, he kept his end of the bargain. Do we all agree on that? Okay, the landowner paid what he agreed. Number two, what appeared unfair to those working all day is the short timers. They received the same wage. That is not unfair. It just demonstrates the landowner wanted to be generous and kind to those who had been recruited late in the day. Was that unfair to pay the same wage? No, it was completely fair. It was contracted. But yet there was a perception that it was unfair. Can the Lord not choose to be gracious and kind to people if he wishes? Of course he can. As was pointed out earlier, in Romans, Paul says the wages of sin is death. How many of us have sinned? How many are guilty of sin? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve the death penalty, but yet a loving God, a father sent the son who gave his life. He was perfect in every way without sin. He died. He shed his blood. He gave his blood for us on the cross. And how could we feel like we've somehow been cheated unless we have an issue with grace? You see, I think that's the key right there. Those people that feel cheated did not feel grace-filled or loving toward the others. That makes sense? And so what I want to do tonight is I want to think about a Bible timeline. Glenn, you were on track at the beginning of class. I want, you to, I want to challenge you tonight to think about a Bible timeline and ask some questions maybe where you can start to see a parallel and why Jesus told this parable in the beginning. In the very beginning, who received the message of God first? How? The prophets, God spoke directly to the patriarchs like Moses and Abraham, right? And so they were, they were given the law of Moses, the old covenant, which they obeyed and they followed, Right? A lot of detailed information, a lot of things that they had to do, rituals, obediences to laws, very detailed oriented. So uh, this timeline shows a parallel to the story. Basically, that is that the Jews were given the message first and they worked very hard for a long time in preparation for the Messiah. Okay? Number two... Were the Gentiles included initially in God's plan of salvation? Okay. Were they, were they covenant people? Were they covenant people? What's the answer? Yes or no? No. Because what was the covenant God enacted with the Jews? Circumcision, right? These are my people. Here are the things you need to do. You will observe these laws. You will follow these principles. I will institute the priest. You observe the Sabbath and various feasts, right? These things were all done for God's people 
the Jews first and only the Jews. Now, there were admittedly some along the way who became followers of God. They weren't excluded, but they certainly were not included by covenant relationship. You follow me? All right, this is important. We've got to all understand this because the Jews had been in this relationship for a long time, and they were now looking for the Messiah who came and started to talk about things that they didn't like. You see, he didn't quite fit their picture. Later, uh, if somebody's got their Bible, turn to Acts 11, verse 18. Who's got that? Just read it once you find it. Acts eleven eighteen. Okay, Glenn's got that. You got your microphone? You want to give it to Glenn? I got a big mouth. Okay. okay. I didn't hear any amens on that. Uh, when they heard this, they had no further objections. They praised God, saying, So then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Okay. Now, when Peter went back to Jerusalem and was giving a report on what was happening in the, in the, in the areas of Gentiles and accepting the gospel, we call that often the Jerusalem Council, right? The apostles were centered in Jerusalem. How was that received? Why are you shaking your head? Okay. The apostles didn't necessarily object, did they? They were excited to hear about these conversions and baptisms and the workings of the Holy Spirit and all the things that were happening among the Gentiles. But yet you can read between the lines that the apostles were really worried because once the word got out what Paul was doing, his brethren, the, Gen- the Jews, are going to go, no way. No way that you're going to include these Gentiles in our covenant relationship. They're not welcome. If you're going to call them brethren, then they've got to start doing a bunch of things we've been doing for a long time under the law of Moses, right? So is it fair to say that most Jews who had been in a relationship with God for a long time did not welcome the Gentiles when they entered into covenant relationship? Even Peter didn't welcome them. He ate with the Jews and would not be seen with the Gentiles when they were all around. Barnabas got caught up in the same thing, right? Paul said that he had to do what to Peter? He had to confront him to his face. Peter, these are your brethren. Welcome them. Don't turn your back on them. Don't distance yourself from them. These are your brothers. Later, the Gentiles were told were grafted in, right? They were grafted in like a wild olive branch into an olive tree. Same parallel. The Jews despised the Gentiles, and they felt superior. Can you see where this story might be all of a sudden drawing some parallels? When Jesus came, he ministered to everyone, right? He ministered to prostitutes. He ministered to those who had leprosy. He ministered to tax collectors. He ministered to the Jews. 
And how did the Jews feel about Jesus talking to some of those low-life people? They didn't like it, did it? Especially the religious leaders of the day. If he had been a prophet, he would have known what kind of woman this was. He wouldn't allow her to touch him. Right. Yeah, good question. The lineage of Jesus had some real interesting people in it. Yeah. Rahab the harlot. (laughs) Who ended up being a a grandmother, I think, of Boaz? Is that right? Right. Yep. I thought it was interesting when the Jews told Jesus that they had never been slaves. I'm like, what? Boy, you've got a short memory there. These Jews somehow felt superior. And, and so when Jesus came and he did what he did, they're like, you're, not, you're no Messiah. That's not the Messiah we've been expecting. We're Jews. We expect a certain kind of Messiah. We've got it all figured out, and you're not him. So they persecuted Jesus. They denied Jesus. And when Jesus started to affiliate with the people that, that they didn't affiliate with, they said, you're certain, you're, now you're demon-possessed. You deserve to die. You see, it was those Jews who hated what Jesus did, and it was the same Jews who hated the Gentiles. But yet they saw a gracious and loving spirit of Jesus toward people even people of low status. Later, when we fast-forward this timeline in the Bible, and we see Peter and Paul now dispatched, sent out to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, how did the Jews respond toward Paul? Did they like him? They wanted to kill him. They were trying to ambush him to take his life. And they spread malicious lies and rumors about Paul. They wanted to discredit the fact that he was an apostle. So all of a sudden, in context of the parable we've been reading about tonight, you got the Jews who've been in the field a long time, right? And you have the Gentiles who've been introduced in the last hour, but they all receive the same grace and reward from the Father. The Gentiles rejoiced and had full benefits of salvation. Somebody read Matthew 21, 31. Matthew 21, 31. Matthew 21, 21, 31. 31. Yeah, that's it. All right. So so basically. We see the Jews, we see the Jews who who are resenting the Gentiles, they hate the Gentiles. They they, they're, They're not our brethren. 
We can't include them. And so Paul, as he goes out and begins to teach and preach in various congregations, convert people, we see Jews who are wanting to, to uh, go back to the law of Moses, who want, to, who want to circumcise these Gentiles. He deals with this, this in the book of Galatians, in the book of Ephesians. And in Acts 13, I'm going to read uh, 44 through 52. We can see some parallel here. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul reviling him. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing, and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. You see, I see a parallel. Maybe it's just me, but I see a parallel in the Jews-Gentile relationship in accepting Jesus and this very parable. The Jews say, we worked a long time. We deserve a different Messiah. You don't need to be paying these Gentiles the same wage. Surely they're not saved. We've earned it. We've worked hard. But these Gentiles, nah. That covenant relationship you're talking about started with Abraham, didn't it? Yes, sir. It sure did. Jesus cut covenant. I mean, the Lord cut covenant when he made a promise to Abraham. He said, first of all, I'm going to give you a son, right? Remember, Sarah laughed. And then what's really interesting is when the fire pot passed. Remember the fire pot, the smoking fire pot passed during this deep slumber-like vision that Abraham had where an animal was cut in two and this bloody trail uh, anim- half of an animal on one side, half of an animal on the other side, and in this vision, the fire pot passes through. That's the cutting of covenant. It's what that means. It's a, it's a, it's a promise of um, I will do this, and you will do this, and we'll both enter the covenant. And if either one breaks covenant, then may what happened to this animal that's lying on both sides of the trail of blood happen to us. That was really the idea or concept of cutting covenant. So covenant began with Abraham, and then we later see um, circumcision instituted, various feasts, the Sabbath. All of these things were covenant relationships, the priesthood, uh, temple worship. Um, and, and so uh, the Jews had been at this a long time. And all of a sudden you see these Gentiles in the 11th hour introduced and called brethren by Paul and Peter, and the Jews are like, uh-uh, no, no way, mm-mm. You're not telling me they're saved? No, we've earned it. <laughs> you see the parallel? All right, Glenn? Not only that, uh, you know, we read Matthew 21, 31, but this really fleshes it out when he tells them in 32, Jesus talking to the Jews again. He said, for John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, which was him. And you did not believe him, but the tax collectors, and this really stung them, the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, the people they hated the most. 
And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe in him. Now, if that didn't sum it up in a nasty little furball, that was the Jews. They were, they were so full of themselves. They were so incensed because the unworthy received grace. Couldn't even see the face of the Son of God. We deserve your love and affection and payment. We've earned it. But to show grace and love and mercy to these people, no way. No way. Now, I'm running out of time, but very quickly, I want to take your minds back to the prodigal son. All right, here comes the young prodigal son, right? The jerk. We see the older brother from the prodigal story feeling the same way as the people who labored in the field all day long. I've worked hard for you. Here I am, working hard, doing my job, day in, day out, being obedient, bringing in the crops. You see this bozo brother and throw your arms around him and love him like he's never been gone. He has insulted you. He doesn't deserve it. He made a fool of himself and he made a fool of you. And you love him? You're all like, let's welcome him back. No, Dad, I won't. You're all like, let's have a party for him. Count me out, the brother says. You're all like, let's give him a gold ring and cook him steaks. Come. No way. He doesn't deserve it. You see, that's a person who feels self-righteous, who doesn't offer grace like the Father. That's why these people felt indignant, because they had worked all day long. They don't deserve to be paid for working an hour. So if there's anything we can learn from this story, don't be like the older brother. Don't be like the laborers who've been in the field all day working and feel like they deserve more. If you have a gracious father who's kind to all, then rejoice. You see, we need to work on our grace, don't we? We need to be loving and accepting. And I'd like to think if maybe if I had a prodigal brother that came back to that farm, I'd like to think that I'd be the one who'd run out and hug him. But you know what? The truth is, (laughs) I'd probably be just like the older brother. I'm mad at you. It's going to take a while, right? But the father embraced his son and wept, and he said, my son was dead. Now he's alive. If we can learn to love the lost like the father and the prodigal son, if we can learn to be generous and gracious like this vineyard owner that pays people a wonderful wage for working an hour. That's the spirit of the Father that we should have. It's full of grace and mercy and love. It doesn't keep score. I just see a really strong parallel in this story and the prodigal son. Because those people that worked an hour, in the eyes of the landowner, they were worth it. And I hope when you see lost people in the world, 
you'll say, you know, to the Father, they're worth it. They're worth it. They're worth my love, my effort, my energy, and my grace. Thanks for your comments tonight. I hope you've enjoyed it. And thank you for being back, Stephen. Appreciate you coming. And um, I guess we'll uh, get started with our invitation. Who's got our song tonight? Okay, Howard. All right, number 554. Tonight we've talked about a parable, the laborers in the vineyard, where the people that worked a long time, all day long, felt there had been a wrong when Jesus paid the same wage to those who had been there an hour. I hope that we can understand and see the grace and the love of the Father and the fact that this generous wage paid to the people was a denarii in the story Jesus told, but Jesus was getting ready to give his own life, his own blood, and to allow his back to be sliced open by the cat of nine tails, for his hands and his feet to be pierced on the cross. You see, that's the wages that were paid for my sin. And through the blood that shed on the cross, we know that uh, grace... And forgiveness of sin is offered to all who will accept this free gift. And so we're going to sing power in the blood. If you're struggling with the ability to understand and show grace, maybe you can think about the words as we sing them and realize how much the Father indeed loves us. Let's stand and sing together, 554. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would your evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be wider, much wider than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Sin saints are lost in its life-giving flow. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you do service for Jesus, your King? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily his praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. 
There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Be seated, please. Thank you, Howard. Just a moment, we'll have Roy uh, lead us in our closing prayer. I'll be mentioning some people on the prayer list, and you may have some as well. So we appreciate Roy um, closing this prayer out for us. I want to mention several who are on our prayer list, and we had notifications today. Uh, Peggy Sue uh, Calvert, is that right? Calvert. Um, she was on our prayer list, and anybody want to give us an update on her? Okay, I know. I know she's related to some here in the, in the congregation, so keep her in. Yeah, keep her in mind. Uh, Roger Cavanaugh, who's you may re- uh, know Destiny, the young lady that sometimes here with Gentry and Teresa. Yeah, she's here tonight. Raise your wave there, Destiny. There you go. Her pa is in the hospital, so we want to remember him. His name is Roger Cavanaugh. Also, we uh, uh, are sorry to hear about Jim Olinger's sister, Jim. Sorry about the passing of her. Uh, she was ninety years old. Uh, Vicki Randolph, this is Robin Miller's sister. Uh, she's in the hospital and not doing well at all. And then uh, I think it was Drew Wallace had knee surgery, is that right? Hip hip surgery, okay, he had something torn and trying to get that repaired. So we want to keep... Oh, no, I'm sorry to hear that. Okay, well, we want to be sure and remember Drew... All right, any other updates or prayer requests? Yes. My grandmother, uh, Norma Gregory, she's been struggling for quite a while now. And uh, they just discovered last night that on top of everything else, she's got a crushed vertebrae. Hmm. Okay, thank you. All right, we'll be sure and pray for her. Anyone else? A lot of hurts going on right now in different ways, physical, uh, depression, relationships that are fractured, um, just illnesses, so many different people struggling with, with different things. Um, okay, thank you, Felice. Any, anyone else? All right. And Roy, thank you for writing those down. Uh, there's an elders deacon meeting coming up this Sunday at 4. Remember our family game night uh, combined with the kids' Christmas party as uh, this Sunday after service. So we're going to have a, um, a potluck and games to play. Now, is it this coming Sunday night that we provide the meat? Is that right? 
Okay, so we will provide the meat. So basically side dishes, and so we're going to combine the kids' Christmas party with a game night and sort of a, uh, a fellowship get-together where we provide the meat. Oh, yeah, thank you. Uh, we need uh, drinks. Um, here it is. The Junior Senior High Christmas Party at the church building, December 10. Is that, that's a different event, right? Okay, this coming, I was confusing those. This coming Sunday night, which is the family game night meal where we provide the meat, we would like people to fill the cooler up and bring drinks as well. All right, so on December 10 from 6 to 9 will be the Junior Senior High Christmas Party. Uh, the theme is Christmas morning. There's a food sign-up on the youth board. Uh, kids wear pajamas, asked to bring five stocking stuffers. Parents are welcome to stay and eat uh, and watch games. We'll be doing some caroling at Brookdale Nursing Home, December 10. That's at 1.30, Dogwood Bend at 2.30. So we're going to get two done in one day. Uh, arrive 125 at Brookdale, 225 at Dogwood. We'll try to remind you as those come up. We'll be delivering fruit baskets December 11. This is uh, after morning services. We do have a list of deliveries in the, in the fellowship hall, or I mean in the foyer. And um, if you can help deliver, sign your name by that individual on the list. Uh, there's still some baskets that need someone to deliver. There'll be Christmas caroling and delivering those fruit baskets to a few of our older members on December 11. And uh, we'll have a quick potluck lunch um, afterwards and then take the bus. We try to do that on that Sunday where we go out and carol to some of our members. So just a quick potluck. Ladies are invited to a luncheon December 15 at 11 a.m. at the home of Judy Wallace. There is a sign-up sheet in the foyer and uh, need you to sign up um, by December 11. Finally, Challenge Youth Conference is for the students 6th through 12th grade. That's in Pigeon Forge. February 24-26. Cost is 35 per person. You need to sign up if you want to go. See Ryan Blunt. No, uh, we need the checks no longer, later than December 21st, payable to Stroudsville. Chaperones and guests are invited to attend, but cabins will be given priority to youth and their families if we run out of space. So a lot of things going on this time of year. What's our count tonight? Great. Good group. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. That's right. Yeah. Kind of had a COVID, COVID spike. So, yeah. Okay. Just keep that in mind, Howard, is that uh, we may have a COVID issue if there's some spikes at some of the senior facilities. Yeah. Good point. All right. But we're going to call Roy up. Uh, Roy, I do have some of those names. Roy to dismiss us, and thank you for being here tonight. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week, and we'll be dismissed. Roy. Let us bow before the Father. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us the privilege to serve you. We ask, dear Lord, that as we go forth into the world, that you allow us to represent you and to stand firm and to show that there's a light that will allow others that would want to join us in eternity. Dear Lord, we ask that you be with uh, Vicki Randolph. She's in ICU. 
and she's on the ventilation. And I was wondering, I, I was, I'm requesting, dear Lord, that you see fit to bring her back to her family and allow her to celebrate and to be with us. Dear Lord, we ask that you be with Peggy Sue Calvert with her heart attack, her several, he said, three stents, and she still has some blockage, and it's going to take some recap. We ask that you put your hand up on her and to the surgeons that have been working on her and allow them that she would receive the hope and the joy to know that you were with her and she would not give up the fight. We ask, dear Lord, that you be with Brother Jim and Martha Olinger at the loss of Jim's sister. Jim says she's 90 years old. And we, as your children, don't want to see things like this happen to our brothers and sisters. Allow us to be comforted and allow us to stand strong and support Jim. We ask that you be with Drew Wallace as he goes through another set of operations with his hip. We ask that he be able to return and, and be with his family in service, in good service. We ask that you be with Norma Bagler, Bagley, and allow her to reduce her pain and to uh, survive a crushed vertebrae. Be with her caretakers that they can make the right decisions that would minimize what she has looking forward to, to give her hope, to give her prosperity, that she could come out of this. We ask that you be with Jack and Jesse as, as their parents are going through a divorce. We ask that they look, you allow them and soften their hearts, that they can look deep within to find out what spark it was that caused them to get together and that spark that brought forth their children and the blessings of those children that they need to consider as they go through this process. We ask that you be with them. You'll allow their friends to come and talk to them and to work them through it. And dear Lord, we ask that you be with Leroy and help him with the cancer. He's as he's losing weight, and it's it looks like the cancer's got a big hold. But we know that you're powerful, dear Lord. You know that you created the universe with just a voice. And if it be your will, dear Father, we ask that you allow it to go into remission and you allow him more time with his family. Dear Lord, be with us all as we go forth in this world. Allow us to understand the happenings that are coming around the world these days. Allow us to see the good in the world and not so much the evil. Allow us to strive to set that example to our children so that they will have a good, fair fight against the evil one. Keep us strong, keep us motivated, and keep us pure. In your holy name we pray. Amen.